We're always thankful to have uh, Tamara speak. I know a lot of us here look forward to having her uh, share, and, um, and today's one of those days, so welcome to Matt. More importantly, I want to bring to the forefront the paradigm, the new paradigm or framework that Jesus has given us through which we can live and approach our lives and all its messiness. Legalism is an excessive adherence to independence, a fulfilling law, a set of rules, some type of standard in order to obtain and or maintain, in this case, salvation, eternal life, favor with God. But Jesus, Jesus came and fulfilled all the law, all the commands of the prophets, any rules or standards that may exist that are required in order to obtain and maintain that salvation and that favor with God, ensuring our salvation. In this world, as you grow up, you learn pretty quickly that there are no free lunches. You learn that if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that other than change, there really are no absolutes. But not when it comes to the good news. Because what Jesus gives us is not something of this world. It is not natural. And so we must recognize that we need to look at it through our supernatural eyes. You see, Jesus set us free so we could be free. Imagine that. <laughs> he set us free so we could be free. He didn't set us free from one state of of fear or oppression or, or rules or system only to put us into another similar form of bondage or slavery. It's not a out of the frying pan into the fire type of scenario. He set us free for freedom. Which is why we are encouraged here by Paul in Galatians to stand firm in that, recognizing that it is kind of our natural tendency to slip away into our our instinctive ways of, of trying to earn our way to something good. To stand firm in the freedom we have and to not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This talk was inspired by a particular question that was included on the list of questions that uh, Jesse sent my way when he asked me to speak today. He gave me the option of addressing one of the you asked for questions. As I looked through them, this one grabbed my heart. It says, and I just slightly modified it just to maintain confidentiality, but in essence it says, I am remarried and it's something I worry about all the time. Am I living in sin, having divorced my first husband? He committed adultery, if that makes a difference. 
Would God actually want me to go back to my first husband, or at the very least, leave my current husband? This brings me so much grief. I'm thinking about my sister, whoever you are, living in worry and grief because of your concern about what God might be thinking. It gave me grief for you, too. And it reminded me that, you know, whether you are maybe a new follower of Christ and yet to really maybe hear or grasp this freedom, this grace that you have in him, or perhaps you've been following Christ for a long time. Maybe you came from a background or a past church or whatever where there was so much emphasis on legalism, on having to perform in order to maintain, obtain some form of favor. And so you're living in that constant fear. Maybe, maybe it comes from your family background. You grew up in a home where love was not just handed out unconditionally. It was always based on some form of condition. It could be your personality. I don't know. But it, it showed me that I think sometimes it's just so important to go back to the fundamentals of why we're here, what brings us here, and what it's all about. It also reminded me that Sometimes we don't all have a chance to read the Bible very thoroughly or in its entirety. And in this particular case, you could see, and I'll just address this real quickly, that in the New Testament, Jesus mentions in Matthew 19 that, sure enough, adultery or sexual morality, immorality is grounds for divorce. You read in Romans 7, death as well. But, um, I mean, even that's kind of interesting because if you look at Matthew 19 where Jesus is talking about this, he's actually addressing some religious leaders who are um, challenging his view on, on divorce because Moses once said that as long as you just give a certificate of divorce, you can get divorced. And so that, that law was then taken to the seventh degree and now all of a sudden men were just divorcing their wives left, right, and center for any reason as long as they gave them a certificate of divorce. That's one sort of negative effect of living under the law. And this was detrimental for the women, of course, because that would ruin them socially, economically. It was, it was a, a big deal. So, so by Jesus kind of raising the bar and saying only by sexual morality, he was really trying to protect women at that time. But, but all that to say is, you know, when you're living under the law, the Bible, what is said in the word, it can only cover so much. There are 7.7, .7, I looked this up yesterday, 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet today. And for every single one of those people, countless number of scenarios and situations, even in the topic of marriage alone, thank God we're not following some kind of rule book to try and figure it all out on what will please him. Amen. You see, legalism would say, serve the law at all costs. And it kind of takes out of the equation using this and using this. Jesus would say, I am the writer of the law, and I fulfill the law on your behalf. Any price that needed to be paid, any penalty for, for any error, it has been paid in full, and it gives us a new paradigm, a new framework through which to approach our life and all our scenarios. I found this proverb, Proverbs 10, 16, I thought, this kind of captures the concept of legalism pretty good. The wages of the wicked is punishment, okay? The wages of the righteous is life. So if you just do everything right, you will obtain that eternal life. You will obtain 
that favor. Jesus would agree that the wages of sin is death, hence his death on the cross. But the free gift, the gift, I just want you to meditate on that word for a moment. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift. You know who's really good at receiving gifts? Kids. Children. And the bigger and the more lavish the gift, the more excited they are about it. I think that's why Jesus says that we are to receive the kingdom of God like a child. Because that's really all that's left to do. It's just to receive it like a child. And so today I'll give you a little example of what that could look like. Jerusalem, there is this temple, 
people worshipped, where sacrifices were made. In the middle of it was this place called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was. And surrounding this was a thick, tall curtain. It was only once per year that the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and present the atoning sacrifice. The sacrifice that would atone for the sins of all the people for, for the year. When Jesus breathes his last on the cross, this curtain tears from top to bottom. God takes this curtain and he tears it from top to bottom, essentially opening up the floodgates for everybody to come running to the Father. Legalism, on the other hand, would still want to set up stipulations. It would set up a check stop, a checkpoint. Okay. It would get its sewing kit out and its gorilla tape and try to patch that up. It would try to stop you before you just go running to the Father. Did you cross all your T's? Did you dot all your I's? What did you do last weekend? Ah, I see your past. Who are you? How do you identify? Have you said the sinner's prayer? Did you believe it in your heart first, then say it with your mouth, or the other way? Just stipulation. Jesus makes a way for us all, for all of us to just come running to the Father. He who is holy declares us holy. He declares us brethren, brothers and sisters. You know, I was reading in Jeremiah 31, this uh, foreshadowing, this prophecy of Jesus coming, of this happening. And you can read there, if you go to Jeremiah 31, around 33, 34, that, that God actually forgets our sin. So, sister, whoever you are who submitted that question, God doesn't even know what you're talking about when it comes to the past. Whatever may have happened there. Amen. I was sharing this with my mom, and as I said this, she goes, and she made such a good point. She said, well, if God forgets our sin, who are we to bring it up, to hold it against ourselves or others? I was like, boom. <laughs> Easy enough for a child to receive. That is the gospel. There is nothing complicated about it. There are no strings or stipulations. <sighs> we receive it like a child, and he provides us with a new paradigm then through which to approach life. So once again, legalism, an excessive amount of rules, laws, practices, commands, purity, and holiness codes to obtain favor, where Jesus leaves us with this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I have to say, two weeks ago, I think it was, we had a guest speaker by the name of Ted, who brought something to my attention. I thought, oh, Jesus gives us even something more foundational to start from. In John 13, 34, he says, love others as I have loved you. I think that's so key. Because I tell you, sometimes I am not the best at loving myself. And if that's the standard through which I love others, it could fall short. 
And he says, love others as I have loved you. And that never falls short. Uh, Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, later writes in one of his letters that above all, love each other deeply. Paul, Paul the Apostle, someone who wrote a lot of letters that are included in the New Testament that we read today, someone who was... Um, a religious zealot of, of zealots, someone, a man who before he had an encounter with Jesus was doing everything to adhere to the law, at whatever cost. He was serving the law very well, and then he had an encounter with Jesus, and that just changed everything. And so for him to say this, that the whole law is fulfilled in one statement, you shall love your neighbors yourself, be powerful. So, the new paradigm, the new framework, we go from six to seven hundred laws in the Old Testament, that doesn't even count many of the rules and the commands and all that kind of stuff, to, to Jesus just saying, first and foremost, consider my love for you. Really receive that. Get that. That's how you love others. Love God and love yourself. That is the new framework, people. That's how we can approach all these sticky situations, all these complicated things. When we're not sure what to do, or what our thought life should be like, or what God might think, there you have it. Jesus broke down so many cultural, spiritual, systemic barriers in his time. He was, he was badass. I'm going to say it. <laughs> and I just want to highlight this story that hopefully will illustrate it a little bit for you. Look at John chapter 4. We see that Jesus is wanting to go from uh, one province in Israel, Judea, to Galilee. Normally, one would pass right through um, Israel to do so. But instead, Jesus takes a longer route, a route that no Jewish person would have taken at that time. They would have skirted around the place of the, uh, the area of Samaria. But Jesus chooses to pass through Samaria. Um, where Samaritans were, there was a lot of controversy and, and animosity that went down, went back generations upon generations where Jewish people and Samaritans did not get along, to say the least. In fact, uh, Samaritans were often, you know, seen as unclean. Uh, I, I know some religious leaders at one point, you could read them calling Jesus a Samaritan. It was like a dirty word. Um, but Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, in full view. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, 
Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. A few things I want to point out about this. So first of all, Jesus chooses to go through Samaria. He also sends his disciples to go get food in Samaria. Jewish people would not at that time have purchased food that would have been handled by Samaritans because it would have been considered unclean. Jesus doesn't, so Jesus is a Jewish man. It would have been um, cultural for Jewish men to not speak to even Jewish women in public, not even his own mother or wife or daughter. He chooses to go speak to a stranger, a woman who is a stranger, who also is a Samaritan, who also has a lifestyle that is very questionable and frowned upon then. And um, he goes and has a conversation with her. This is huge. He then, also we see, I love the fact that it's pointed out that he does not have a jug or anything to drink with. So not only is he chosen to go to Samaria to talk to a Samaritan woman of questionable decisions, but he also says, I want to drink from your cup. I've been really sick the last three days, and I tell you, I've been keeping my cups in a corner so that nobody touches them because they're definitely going to make people sick. And Jesus cultural idea here is that to, if to, to drink from or to touch even food handled by Samaritans who've been considered unclean, he said, let me take a drink from your cup. But the best part of all this is the fact then that he says, if you knew who I was, you'd be approaching me for a cup of water. And why is that so significant? Well, it's one thing to know who your king is or your lord who can provide you with all things. But it's another thing to know that he is your father, that your king, that your Lord is also your father, who invites you to confidently come and ask him for all things. Jesus showed us that because of what he's done and the way that he made for us, we no longer have barriers between him and the father. We no longer have barriers of loving each other, despite what might be going on culturally or socially or systemically. And so just take a moment to ask yourself where you, in your life, might be holding yourself hostage by legalism. How might you be holding someone else hostage, perhaps? Because you're free to not do so. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm and don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery. I'm just going to go quickly through a few more contrasts between legalism and Jesus. Maybe some will really stick with you. Legalism would say, get to work, and hopefully you'll be good enough to earn your holiness status. But he who is holy says, holy, that's where you start. Now if you want, take my hand, and you and me together, let's get to work. I've got a plan for your life. Yeah. Legalism would say, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice in order to justify yourself. And Jesus would say, justified. That's your starting place with Jesus. Not just love. 
legalism would say, throw stones to obey God. Jesus would say, I am God, and you are not condemned. And let me just explain what I mean by this one. John chapter 8, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels. The religious leaders who are trying to catch Jesus in um, preaching against the laws of God, knowing that Jesus is out in a public courtyard, they, they go and catch a woman who is caught sleeping with another man who is not her husband. They drag her out of that place. They bring her to the, to the courtyard where there's a bunch of people around in Jesus. And they challenge Jesus. They say, the law of Moses clearly states that in this case, we should be stoning this woman. That would be obedience to God. What do you say, Jesus? He's so good. He beats them at their own game. He says, whoever is without sin among you, throw the first stone. Knowing that that would also be contrary to the law, they start to disappear one by one. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, who condemns you? She says, no one, Lord. He says, neither do I. And I bring this up because I know that our hearts are genuinely such that we want to obey God. That's For so many of us, I know that that's your heart's cry because you love him and you want to obey him. Sometimes we read a lot of things in the word that might seem confusing or contradictory or or whatnot, but I just want to suggest that Jesus, no matter what scenario or situation or a thought you're facing, that Jesus will come to the courtyard of your life. He would come to the center of whatever that situation is. He would say, I am God. I write the rules. And I'm saying, not condemned. No one is condemned. I've done it all. Legalism. Friendship with a hidden agenda. Jesus just friendship. Let me illustrate what I mean. I'm actually going to share with you how it is that I started to follow Christ uh, 20, just over 20 years ago. I was in the end of my grade 12 year. I was at home in Calcigar with one of my sisters. It was Saturday night. And uh, we had nothing to do. And we heard that there was a band playing at a local church that was, was uh, within walking distance of our home. It was pouring rain that night, but we walked there anyway, showed up like a couple of down rats. And sure enough, walked in and there was band playing, it was Dunamis from, it was, they were called Dunamis at the time, they were from Creston, and a whole bunch of youth were, were worshipping in the sanctuary. It was pretty good music too, so I'd never been to a church before and there was a band, so that, well, why not? So we ended up, I think, right at the front. And after the band finished playing, um, people were starting to come up to the front and and getting like, prayed for, and, and somehow my sister, who was with me, ended up there at the front. <laughs> and she did something called getting slain in the spirit. Basically, um, the presence of God just came over her so strongly, and she passed out. Just hung out with God in Dreamland for a little while, and, and uh, I had no idea what to think about this. Um, no one seemed concerned. People were praying for her, so I did the same thing. I went front. I was praying for her. <laughs> like this is what you do. I'm not expecting this to be my Saturday night. And then, um, and then once that was over, we were invited to go downstairs. Uh, she came too, and we were invited to go downstairs to enjoy a spaghetti dinner with the youth. And I went downstairs, and um, 
met a few people and came across a youth pastor, met the youth pastor, Brian Dawson. <laughs> and I don't really know how to describe it really, but as soon as I met him, the little interaction I had with him while he was shoving spaghetti in his mouth, <laughs> I just knew I was so fully accepted and so fully embraced in that place, and I had nothing to prove. I didn't have to prove a thing to anybody. After dinner, I ended up at the attic of the church with another girl, she's a youth there, she is now the pastor at New Life Church, Maria. She also happens to be my brother-in-law's sister. And we're up there at the attic of the church and I started having all these questions, mainly being, what is up with Jesus dying on the cross? And she was just there, ready to answer my questions, giving me information as I asked for it. And um, it was really nice. One of the elders of the church, too, he came up with a, a tray of tea and cookies, and that was really sweet. And, and I started going to that church then. And I'd say just probably a couple Sundays in, there was a particular sermon that was being preached, and, um, and it really grabbed my heart really pertain to me and my life and uh, something something welled up inside of me that just led I had such a desire to all of a sudden trade trade a lot of stuff that I had been kind of living with trade you know I always kind of felt like I knew who I was inside but I couldn't really quite bring that out fully and I kind of knew the things that were stopping that but I had nothing to do with it but I couldn't do anything about it, but I felt in that moment like I was able, I had the opportunity to trade stuff, I don't know, guilt, maybe some shame, maybe just me, me controlling everything for Jesus. Amen. For Jesus being my Lord, for his grace, for him all of a sudden being able to control my life. And so I took that step that day, and that was kind of like the first action, I'd say, on my journey with Christ. I share that with you, though. Because I tell you, what was the most impactful part of, of all those events that led me to Christ? What showed me, what gave me a little glimpse of what it is that he has for each of us was when I went downstairs and I met with that youth pastor. And he just absolutely, his demeanor, everything, you could tell there was just unconditional positive regard, just full acceptance. That gave me a taste of what Jesus had. And that's, that, that is all. I just, I just want to encourage you that, that in my life, I knew that was so impactful. You know, I have a really strong BS meter. I don't know if any of you do, but, but we as humans, we can sniff out hidden agendas and schemey things. And, and it's a good survival mechanism. And Jesus says, you are just so free to just be a great friend. Because the Holy Spirit who saved, be, you know, do church. Bring in good band. Be ready with answers. Um, bring people tea and cookies. But above all else, just show people the kind of acceptance that Jesus showed us in his example and that he showed you. <laughs> Man is for the Sabbath. Legalism would say that. What do I mean by that? Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. Very simply, a day of rest. Jesus, or God, commanded the Israelites in the Ten Commandments to have one day of rest every week. It's actually a great gift. 
But even that was made into something that really caused a lot of stress and oppression for people. It became this competition, or it became this thing where people all of a sudden policing others. Are you resting? Did you lift a finger that day? Did you make sure you didn't do any work? Jesus, you see through the Gospels, he kind of makes a point of doing things on the Sabbath, you know, living life. He's walking through the grain field with his disciples, and he's picking some heads of grain to munch on, breaking the Sabbath according to legalism. He heals people on the Sabbath. Oh, too much work, how dare you? Jesus challenges some religious leaders who, who want to take a task on this and says, if one of your farm animals fell into a ditch on the Sabbath and was injured, would you not take care of that? And so this is just an example of what legalism does to us. We start serving the law and rules with a and And uh, so Jesus says, you know, man is not for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is for man. Laws, rules, regulations, bear in mind, we live under grace. Some guidelines are there to serve the abundant life and the freedom that we have. So try not to switch those things too around. It can get kind of complicated. And it is human nature to switch that around. It's human nature to be somewhat legalistic. I mean, it's not just in the church. It's everywhere you go, right? Whether we're talking about high school cliques and see who could be cool enough to reach some kind of social status to, you know, just following all the rules and doing all the right things in order to obtain certain power or positions or abilities or prestige or reputation or whatever. I mean, it's, it's a, it actually is a natural thing that creates order out of chaos. It creates hierarchies when they're needed. It's an understandable thing, but it's important to recognize that Jesus gives us something supernatural. He gives us something otherwise. It helps us to see why we kind of bring, can we bring this legalism in because it's part of human nature, but we just need to recognize, you know, again, receiving like a child, he gives us something supernatural, and it's an inheritance. It's an inheritance. We're as brethren, we're as brothers and sisters, so we need to stand firm and not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. There's that framework again. There's that paradigm, revelation of the Father's love for us as our guide or how we are to love others. Love God, love others, love yourself. Now I recognize that some people like a more detailed framework. They like a little bit more details around how to approach life, make decisions. Um, I get it. So here's a few tips that you might find helpful um, when you're trying to decide what to do when things just aren't seeming very black and white. Um, again, starting with that revelation of the Father's love for yourself. Praying, praying about it. Talking to God about it. Spending time with the Father. Jesus, he spent so many hours with the Father. And I know many of you here do too. And I know you've, you've experienced the transforming nature of just spending time in the Father's presence. Read the word. Read the word. But read it in context. Read it with understanding, letting scripture inform scripture. Cherry picking can be a, a pretty dangerous thing. And remember, no matter what it is that you're reading, because you may not have time to read the whole thing, um, remember the framework. Use the, you know, perceived through the eyes of love for God, for others, for yourself. Talk to wise, 
loving people. Our pastors, our leadership team are amazing. A good counselor, a trusted friend or family member, a wise author picking up a good book. And remember this, all things are permissible. You don't hear that in a church very often because I think people are afraid of giving the wrong message. People are afraid of losing control. Why Paul has said, you know, where sin abounds, there too grace abounds. But maybe don't take advantage of that. All things are permissible. But not all things, obviously, when you think about it, are really that advantageous, are they? So it's a pretty common sense approach. And if you want to read about that, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And finally, I kind of like this. I kind of like this as a, a measuring stick. Does it result in good fruit? Your thoughts, your decisions, your behaviors, your choices, does it result in good fruit? More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you're trying to decide, I, I don't really know where I stand on this issue, or I don't really under know what I should do about this or that. Well, consider if your perspective and if your approach will result in more fruit, more good fruit, or rotten fruit. This might be a good verse to memorize if you like memorizing verses. Colossians 3 says, Holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Is that framework again? Just trying to like burn that into your brain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, if you are somebody who, for whatever reason, has actually been doing all the right stuff, because you think that's somehow going to obtain more favor with God, that's somehow going to secure your salvation, and you've been tracking along with me and you realize, oh, Jesus has already done that for me, so why obey God? Why pray? Why attend church? Why read the Bible? Why sing his praises? Serve others? Tithe? Let your light shine? Worship together? You get it. Why, why any of it? That's a good question. I mean, honestly, friends, it's about relationships from beginning to end. In my humble opinion, it's why he made us. It's why all this exists. It's about relationship with him. It's why Jesus came to die. He wanted to just open up those floodgates, bring everyone into the house, bring everyone into the Father's house. It's about relationship with him. It's about relationship with each other. It's essence of abundant life. So if if you are looking for a place to belong, connection, and community, if you're looking to be a part of a body, especially for your own development, you know, we all have specific gifts and skills and strengths, and they're often best realized around others. They often complement others' skills and strengths and abilities. So reaching your highest, truest, fullest version of yourself often revolves or involves being part of a community. If you're looking for purpose and meaning, Jesus has that for you. Provision. A king 
who owns all the storehouses, who is also our Father, and says, come ask me for anything. Hope and assurance, guidance and direction, help. We all just need, sometimes just need help. Come into the Father's house. Be a part of the body. If we can't figure it out together, we know a God who absolutely can. Adventure. Feel a little bored? Jesus is so not boring. Jesus is so not boring. So if you're feeling a little bored and you need a little bit of zest for life, talk to him. See what he has planned for you. Rest, peace, and healing. He's there for you in all of those things. How about just an approach to life? And of course, and this is my favorite, to be together with other people to enjoy the gift. Happiness is best served with others. A gift is fully realized when you can share it and experience it with others. And so, in recognition that our thoughts greatly influence how we feel and what we do, if you're yet to feel an incredible sense of joy and gratitude and freedom and excitement about what Jesus has done and what that means for your life, then I would encourage you to spend some time looking at your core beliefs and why you're here, why Jesus came, what this is all about, because that's going to infiltrate everything in your life. And I tell you, I'm so thankful for how I've had the time myself to spend with Jesus preparing this message because I think I get a little bit more now why Paul says rejoice always I'll say it again rejoice because it's for freedom that Christ said stand firm don't be subject again to the yoke of slavery my jam so a little theme song that I've been playing in my home as as I've been worshiping God in the mornings, preparing this message. Uh, it's something called um, Best News Ever by Mercy Me. And I actually just wanted to tie a bow on this talk today by, by playing it for us. I've got the lyric video up, and I thought that we could just stand together and sing along. Because I think in three minutes, it kind of captures the spirit of what I've been trying to say in however many. So enjoy it with me. I'm going to step off stage. And, and just God bless you. And God keep you free and enjoying the incredible gift that he's given us. Some say 